Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Amen. Listen, this week I want to talk to you about a new day dawning. We are one encounter away from experiencing supernatural breakthrough in our country and in our homes. And I believe that with all of my heart. If you're to ask leaders in the church, a lot of leaders in the church right now are saying, hey, listen, it's really bad right now out there. And and according to the Bible, in times, it's only going to get worse. And that may be the case. That may be true. But let me just say this. I believe that God is not done. I believe that we are one encounter away from experiencing our breakthrough. I believe a new day is dawning. We are the lights of the world and God has called us to go bring heaven to earth. And so yes, anxiety and depression, they're at all time highs right now. We are more medicated than we've ever been in our entire lives. Their suicide rate, especially among the younger generation right now is extremely high. I mean, it's insane. Our, our, our gender confusion and perversion has just infiltrated us like no other. Our government is in this constant fight with one another, and they're constantly battling it out with one another and pointing you know, fingers at one, one another rather than serving the people that they've been called to serve. This is the community that we're living in right now, but I still believe that there is a new day dawning. I mean, how many of us are tired of all the confusion, the chaos, and the corruption that's going on right now? Amen. Amen. Listen, there is a new day dawning. And maybe you're in a place right now, even in your marriage, where it's just right there, just hanging on by a thread. There is a new day dawning. Maybe you're fed up with work or you're fed up with the kids or you're just like barely surviving right now. Listen, there is a new day dawning. We need to see God for who he is right now. This is a very important time for us to see God for who he is. He is a big God. He is a good God. He is a righteous God. He is a healing God. He is a miraculous God. He is a God of breakthrough. He is a God of resurrection. And he is looking to resurrect your marriages. He is looking to resurrect your life. We need to see God for who he really is. And there's something about this moment in history, and I believe we are one encounter away from our breakthrough. We are one encounter away from our breakthrough. Listen, one encounter with God changes your entire life. And, and, and we're, we're doing Alpha on Wednesday nights, and it's been awesome. I mean, I love it. Absolutely love it. We get in our groups, and we talk about whatever, wherever it's, it's led. Uh, we've been talking about forgiveness. We've been talking about Jesus and why Jesus had to come and why Jesus had to die on the cross. It's been phenomenal. I mean, we're encouraging all of us, including myself, to invite people to this Alpha thing. Why? Because we want people to come to a meeting? No, because we want people to encounter the living God, Jesus. So I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter eight. That's where we're gonna be hanging out this morning. Matthew chapter eight. And we will be throwing the the scriptures up on the screen, but if you got your Bible, would love for you to follow along with me here. But I wanna give you some context before we jump into this particular book. Matthew reminds us that Jesus, who we call Lord, is the Messiah. 
that was spoken about by the prophets in the Old Testament. I mean, this is the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one that was supposed to come. I mean, everybody's anticipating his coming, and he finally comes, and Matthew is telling us about this. And from the wise men who were searching for King Jesus to Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount to Jesus resurrecting and appearing to everyone, saying, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth, Matthew is excitingly and joyfully proclaiming and declaring the good news of Jesus, that King Jesus has finally arrived and he's brought with him the reign of God. That is the book of Matthew in a nutshell. And in the first four chapters, Matthew presents to us the very person of Jesus. And in chapters five through seven, we're introduced to his principles. I mean, principles that will just kind of blow your mind. It catches you off guard. It flips the world upside down. It kind of makes you do a double take. Like, what, 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 what did he just say? Like, okay, slap and then turn the other cheek and get slapped again. This is, what is he talking about? And so it's just this wild how the first four chapters, the person of Jesus, five through seven, the principles of Jesus. And it begins to beg a question that you and I need to ask ask, and we need to have it answered. And that is, okay, so Jesus, great, you laid out all these principles, but do you have the power to live out those principles? Or are you like every other leader who's a nice person, and you got great principles, but you're powerless really to do anything? And so that's the question that Matthew is going to answer as we dive into chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 8, 9, and 10, we see that the power of Jesus is released. Jesus not only proclaimed the gospel, but he demonstrated the gospel. He not only spoke the gospel, but he did the deed. And as the late John Wimber used to put it, he was doing the stuff. In these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, Matthew tells us the story of 10 miracles, which show us that Jesus not only had great things to say, but he had the dynamic power to make things happen. Now, I believe that Jesus has some really good things to say in your life. I believe that Jesus has some really good things to say in my life. But I also believe he has the dynamic power to change your life, to change my life. Listen, Jesus didn't come to tame and to cage Christians. That wasn't what his, his, his mission was. No, he came to empower and to release Christians to not only proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom. And that is really the heart of what we're going after this year as we're talking about reaching out from a place of strength. We've been called to demonstrate the good news. He's called us to do this stuff. And so if we're going to reach out to this community and beyond, I think we need to learn a few things, you know, by looking at the life of Jesus. And, 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 and you know what? Maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself, or maybe you're looking around and you're like, Adam, it's, it's getting really hot out here. I mean, the fire is burning bright around here. Have you looked around? I mean, it is insane right now. I mean, maybe you didn't watch the news, Adam, but did you see there's some dancers on a cross making fun of Christians at the Dodger Stadium? Adam, we've lost our mind. And I just want to encourage you, the fire that burns inside of you is brighter than the fire that's burning outside of you. You have what it takes to go and demonstrate the gospel and to make a difference for the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus. There's a new day dawning and we are one Jesus encounter away from our breakthrough. So on one hand, I wanna show you in Matthew 8 how Jesus demonstrated the gospel, but I also wanna just lay hold of a few things as we go through this so that we might be equipped and encouraged to also demonstrate the gospel. 
And so I want to start out with this, this first point. Number one, if we're going to demonstrate the gospel, then we need to reach out and love those who do not look like us. That's, that's hard for us sometimes. And let's, let's start in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. I'm willing. He said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy left him. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take a long offering you know, required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. And this will be a public testimony that you have been healed that you have been cleansed. And so, wow, now we see that Jesus isn't just proclaiming the gospel anymore. He's coming out of the chute, demonstrating the gospel and the healing ministry of Jesus. I'm sure it wowed the people. I'm sure they were blown away. I mean, in the healing ministry of Jesus, we need to understand is a present day reality that we need to tap into. I mean, some of us are de dealing with physical ailments and we've been living our lives dealing with these ailments and you need to know that Jesus wants to heal you. And I pray if you're dealing with physical ailments right now, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. If you're watching online and you're dealing with some kind of a physical ailment, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Yeah. I am willing, he says, be healed. And I want you to imagine with me the healing ministry of Jesus. I mean, I bet it blew everybody's mind that was just standing there. I mean, large crowds were coming down and they were watching Jesus do this miraculous thing. It just blew their mind. But you know what else blew their mind? And I think it blew their mind more than the actual healing was who Jesus chose to heal. So yeah, to, to see it live and in action would have been awesome, but to see Jesus, who Jesus chose to heal would have blown their minds. It came to someone with leprosy and the blessings of Jesus, the healing and restoration of Jesus being made whole and right in Christ came to the unexpected and the undeserved. Number one, if we're going to demonstrate the gospel, if we're going to live out this gospel, if we're gonna make a difference in the world, if we're gonna be the light of the world, then we have to reach out and touch the hearts of the unexpected and undeserved. We've gotta, we've gotta learn how to love those who don't look like us. And loving those who are different than us is exactly how we became Christians. God is much different than we are, yet he looked down on us with kindness and mercy and grace. And he said, even though you're sinners, I'm going to die for you. That is the beauty of the gospel. And everyone in the context here in, this, in, in Matthew here would have been surprised that Jesus healed a leper. I mean, physically, leprosy was horrific. The leper wouldn't have been able to, 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 to feel his own self. If you Google leprosy, you'll see some images that just kind of blow your mind. You get this really vivid picture of what it looks like. And some physicians have called it a painless hell because it actually destroys the nerve endings in your body so you can't feel anything. And the physical reality of it was really, really, really bad, but not when it was compared to the social and the religious implications of it. Socially, they couldn't experience others. It was an incurable disease during the time of Jesus and in the Old Testament. It was a horror and a fear in the land. And God at one time 
way back in the Old Testament and giving the law, he, he looking to do some good for his people to protect them from the effects of this disease, told them some stuff about what they needed to do to really protect themselves. But it had really hard religious and social implications. In Leviticus 13.45, it says, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as this serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. I mean, that's, that, that's hard for us to imagine what that's like and the implications. I mean, they were literally removed from the community. It was this incurable disease. It was this lifetime sentence, if you will. They were unclean, so they would never come into contact with anybody. Rabbis would later, uh, you know, add laws that would make it illegal to greet le uh, lepers. And literally, if they had to come into the community for any reason at all, they had to cover their mouth and yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. How humiliating is that? I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how socially horrific that is. You guys remember when COVID hit like two or three years ago? I remember walking, yeah, unfortunately. I remember walking in the grocery store and like, you know, you're looking for groceries and you get the little tickle in your throat and you're like, no, no. And, and then it comes and everybody just stops and oh my gosh, like you got leprosy or something. I mean, multiply that times a thousand and that's what this guy with leprosy was feeling like. Socially horrific, everybody is running from him. So yeah, it was physically bad, but it was socially horrific. Religiously, they couldn't connect with God. They could not connect with God. They were removed from a life that was centered on God. They couldn't experience the presence of God. They were unclean, so they couldn't approach where God was in that economy. And remember, he was in the tent of meeting. He was in the tabernacle. He was in the temple. He was in the synagogue. And this is before the cross. So they couldn't go to these places. They couldn't experience God. And so physically, they couldn't fill their own selves. Socially, they couldn't experience others. And religiously, they couldn't connect with God. This was really bad. And the religious leaders only made it worse during Jesus' time. One rabbi was quoted as saying, when I see lepers, I throw stones at them lest they come near me. Wow, there was a sense of worthlessness and despair on a daily basis. A Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, he, he summarized the situation by saying that lepers were treated as if they were dead. I mean, can you imagine the humiliation and the isolation that these lepers would have felt? And Jesus did something here that would have surprised everyone. He reached out and he touched a leper. He reached out and he touched the leper. And when you think about it, the scene was probably pretty crazy, right? Remember, they were supposed to cover their mouth and yell, unclean, unclean. But this guy, no way. He sees Jesus. He sees this large crowd. He's running through this large crowd. I imagine the people were, you know, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, a leper, back off. And he gets to Jesus. And Jesus could have said, hey, whoa, be healed, you know, and just healed him. He could have said it like we're going to read about the slave and just spoke it with a word. Or he could have spoke a word just like he raised Lazarus from the dead. But no, Jesus went the extra mile and he reached out and he touched the leper. Wow. With the compassion and the love of God, 
Jesus is looking to touch you and to touch this world. He's not intimidated by people dancing on crosses. He's not intimidated by your confusion of your gender. He's not intimidated by all the craziness and the chaos that's happening in our government right now. He is not intimidated with the love of God. He wants to reach out and give you an encounter that will forever change your life. Now, this, this idea of leprosy, it really is a signpost that reminds us of two very important things. Number one, in our sin before God, we were the leper. Leprosy became a metaphor or a picture of, of sin in Scripture. And before the blood of Jesus, you and I were unclean. We were dead in our trespasses. We were sinners. We were an enemy of God. And figuratively speaking, because of our sin, we were unclean. But because Jesus wasn't intimidated by our sin, he reached out and he touched us, cleansing us from our sin. But number two, and I need you to hear this this morning, God is willing to heal. Some of us are struggling right now because we don't think God is willing to heal. And you need to know, just as God spoke that to the leper, I am willing, he's speaking it to you today. I'm willing to heal your marriage. I'm willing to heal your child. I'm willing to, to take that addiction that you've been struggling with for so long and you keep throwing it down, but you keep picking it back up. I don't care. I'm not intimidated by that. I am willing to heal you of that addiction. Come to me, all who are weary and I will give you rest, Jesus says. And because we have experienced such a wonderful love of the Father through the healing touch of Jesus in our own lives, we should be willing to reach out and touch the unexpected and the undeserved. We should be willing to love those who don't look like us. And so if we're gonna demonstrate the gospel, Number one, we need to be willing to love those who don't look like us. But number two, we need to have faith in the authority that Jesus has to bring the kingdom. Notice with me in Matthew 8, starting in verse 5, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. And Jesus said, well, I'll come and I'll heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In verse 13, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Wow, another radical story of Jesus healing. 
But I want you to take a deeper look into this story with me because it really is a scandalous story when you look at it. A Capernaum, you know, Capernaum was that, 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 that place in, in Galilee. It was located on the northern shore of Galilee and it was a very influential and prosperous place. In fact, it was the leading city on the shore of Galilee and it was uh, somewhat of an international place where people would come from all over the world to come here. Why? Because of its location. And people from all over the world would come through here and it brought about a couple of things when they come through. Number one, taxes. (laughs) This, This is where Matthew lived. Matthew, the tax collector. Yeah, this is where he hung out because he knew where to make the money. Before he came to know Jesus, this is exactly what he did. But it also called for military protection because it was such a large city. It needed military protection. And this is why the Roman centurion was even there. And a Roman centurion was a commander of of about 100 different soldiers. And I want you to think about this for a second. Rome was the oppressor. Okay, when, when, when the Jews would hear about the, 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 the Messiah that was going to come uh, by the prophets in the Old Testament and they were looking forward to that, they were thinking Jesus was gonna come and destroy the present day government that was oppressing them. And so when they're looking at this Roman officer and Jesus is talking to this Roman officer, they're thinking, what is he gonna do? What is he gonna do here? This, this, Jesus, you came to kill the Roman oppressor. You came to kill the, the, the injustice that the Romans were bringing. So what are you gonna do, Jesus? And what does Jesus do? He heals the man. He heals his servant. He heals his servant. And, and then he, and he has the audacity. Think about this. This is scandalous. He's the, he has the audacity to say, look at this Gentile. <laughs> He's gonna be hanging out with Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Some of you, are gonna be, yeah, hanging out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, now, now you gotta realize the Jews, they thought the Gentiles were just fuel for the fires of hell. And Jesus just flipped that upside down. He said, actually, some of you are gonna be fuel for the fire of hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, so again, we see that Jesus came to the unexpected and the undeserved. Wow, that's the Jesus we serve. He's not intimidated by this Roman officer and what he stands for or what have you in the government. He sees the need of the Roman officer. He sees the faith of the Roman officer. And he begins to allow the Roman officer to encounter something he's never encountered before, the love of the Father. One encounter will change your life forever. The world is looking for an encounter with Jesus. And you and I, having encountered the living God, have an opportunity to go and allow them to encounter by not only proclaiming the gospel, that's great. Proclaim it. How will they hear unless somebody tells them? But we've got to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were basically three types of people who were looked down upon in that culture. Lepers, women, and Gentiles. And this was a Gentile this Roman officer. Jesus was building a kingdom that looked a lot different than what the religious people of that day thought it should look like. And I find it interesting that the first three miracles Matthew records is a leper, a Gentile, and a woman. And the church in that day would have been furious. Now do you understand why they were chasing Jesus and trying to kill him the whole time? Because of this stuff right here. 
And I think the lesson we can learn from this is that just because we're blessed to have the word and know the Lord doesn't mean we're superior than other people. The kingdom is much bigger than our theological comfortability. It's more expansive than our own flavor. It's big, much bigger than any of us actually think. I remember going to a conference in Switzerland. I was invited out to this conference. My wife and I were, and we went to this conference. And I mean, you know how they do at conferences when they go big. They invite all the cool people, all the heavy hitters, right? And so all these guys and gals start getting up and preaching the word of God. And I'm just blown away. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here and they, they went all out. This particular building was a Sony building. Sony owned this building. And so the church was actually able to use all the Sony equipment. And so it was just, the worship was like, you're just like, wow, I'm in heaven right now. But this one guy gets up and he speaks and I'm blown away. Like it wasn't like he was trying to be cool. He wasn't trying to do anything other than just share Jesus Christ. And when he spoke, I could see the anointing of Jesus on him. And I felt so close to Jesus. I was blown away. And so afterwards, I, I went up to uh, Bjorn, the guy that was hosting us, and I said, Bjorn, this, this guy was amazing. Like, who is this guy? I've never heard of him, never seen him. He goes, oh, he's a Catholic priest down the road. I said, whoa, no, 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 no. That doesn't fit my theological framework, Bjorn. That can't be. I've never felt so close to Jesus from a Catholic. No way. Listen, the church is much bigger than we think. The kingdom of God is much bigger than we think. Let's be big people realizing the kingdom is more expansive and inclusive than what our flavor might be philosophically or what our theology might be dogmatically. May God give us eyes to see what he's doing in the churches outside of these walls in other churches. We're not the only church. We're a great church, but we're not the only church. And so not only were the crowds surprised, not only was the officer surprised, but it says that Jesus was blown away. My words, he was amazed. He was taken back by the man's faith. The Roman officer recognized something that you and I need to recognize. Jesus has authority. Only he doesn't use his authority for personal gain. He doesn't abuse his authority. No, he uses his authority to love and to bring about restoration, to heal the sick and to cleanse the lepers. And the other day we celebrated our high school graduates in this very room. And it was awesome. It was cool to watch them come in and, and Rachel and Harlan had put together this you know, amazing room. They decorated it all up and, and, and <clears throat> Rachel had put a table up here and had brought pictures. I mean, it was really cool. The kids were just totally blessed, but they were sitting over here at some tables and one by one, you know, the parents would come up and speak blessings over their kids, you know, and just, just to encourage them. You know, and I, I watched all the kids, including my own, and, and they were pretty much emotionless. Like, I was thinking they were like, yeah, dad, thank you. You know, like, but nothing like that. And that's okay, because I know something probably hit, or I'm praying, God, please allow something to hit. Something hit and landed on their hearts. But there was something that changed in the atmosphere. When Pastor Val and Pastor Rod got up, and they began to speak a blessing over our kids, something changed. Why? Because they hold a place of authority. 
It's not authority that they have attained to or that they want and to you to know that they have necessarily. It's an authority that God has given them and it's an authority in our kids' hearts. They hold a place of authority. And so when Pastor Rod and Pastor Val spoke blessings over them, it landed differently. There's something that happens when you speak and act out of authority. And when we begin to recognize the authority that Jesus has to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, to bring the kingdom of heaven, then we will start to go and speak kingdom and demonstrate, excuse me, gospel over this world. We've got to recognize the authority that Jesus has and he has given us to walk in. So number one, if we're going to demonstrate the gospel, then we got to love those who don't look like us. But number two, we have to have faith in the authority that Jesus has to bring the kingdom of God. But number three, we need to serve Jesus. If we're going to demonstrate the gospel, we need to serve Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 14, says, When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. And she got up and prepared a meal for him. And in verse 16, That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. Now, I, I want you to think about this really quick. We've gone through kind of two scandalous stories, if you will. And now we're at a third scandalous story. Culturally speaking, Jewish men felt like women were necessary for having babies. But outside of that, there really was no purpose or much value. In fact, if you were living in Jesus' day and you were giving birth to a baby, your friends and your relatives, they would all come and they would gather in your house and they'd have presents and, and, and the little things that you blow to make party sounds and, and they would be ready, anxiously waiting for the news of the birth. And if the midwife came out and they said, it's a boy, they would woo cheer and the, it, the praise would just erupt. If the midwife came out and said, it's a girl, they would pack up their presents and take off. That's the Jewish community. That's how they saw women, but that wasn't the heart of Jesus. <laughs> when we think about it biblically, Jesus taught women, spoke to them publicly, protected them from the religious community, and he empowered women to minister. And I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, you know, all the apostles bounced. They're like, oh, we're going to the house. Yeah, we're out. Yep, we're going to the house. And they all hid in the house except John. But three women stayed at the cross of Jesus. And the next morning, the women go and they're, they're, they're going to prepare Jesus's body. And what do they find? They find an empty tomb and, the, and, and the, the stone is rolled away. They encounter angels and they're like, wow. And then they go and they tell all the other, you know, guys that are going to really make a difference, the world changers, you know. And they're like, hey, guys, you're never going to believe this. And they're like, oh, my gosh, really? And two of them, only two of them out of all of them, actually took them out their word and went to check out their story. That it was the women who were there. In a culture where women were disempowered and relegated to lower seats of leadership and authority, Jesus empowered them. And in this particular story, he reaches out. I love it. He reaches out and he touches Peter's mother-in-law's hand and she was healed. Again, Jesus reached out and touched the unexpected and the undeserved or who they thought was the undeserved. But I, want you, I don't want you to miss the third point that I have here. If we're going to demonstrate the gospel, then we've got to serve 
Jesus. We need to serve him in the house. We need to serve him outside the house. We need to serve him in the church. We need to serve him outside the church. We need to serve him when we scatter, and we need to serve him when we gather. We need to serve Jesus. What is it that Peter's mother-in-law did after she was healed? She began to serve Jesus. Listen, you can always tell when someone has been truly touched by Jesus because they're going to begin to minister. It's what they do. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you can't help but say, what, what can I do to serve you? you know, the kids ministry, is there anything else, please, Lord? Is there anything else? Like, you know, we just have this, this thing about it. When we encounter Jesus, we want to serve Jesus with all of our hearts. And we live in a culture where isolation is the norm and where inward focus is celebrated. I mean, how many people have died taking selfies, you know, off the edge of a cliff or something? I mean, it's just insane. We're we're so self-absorbed. But being a part of a community and serving our community is so important. And I notice a couple of things when I look at the life of Jesus. There were times when Jesus, yes, he would isolate himself. He would, he would take off and, and go be with the Father all by himself. But Jesus, when, when you read through the Gospels, you'll see that he operated in community. In Proverbs 18.1, it says that he who separates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire, but he quarrels against all sound wisdom. For Jesus, isolation wasn't an option. In fact, Jesus provides a real purpose in community. And when he says this in John 13, verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will know you are disciples of Christ by your love for one another. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Listen, let's take our, 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 our lessons from Jesus and let's serve the community. Let's serve our wives. Let's serve our families. Let's serve our church. Let's serve our neighborhoods. Let's serve our cities. And they will know that you are his disciple. And so if we are going to reach out and not only proclaim the gospel with our lips, we got to do the stuff. We have to demonstrate the gospel like Jesus demonstrated the gospel. Number one, we need to love like, love those that look different than us. Number two, we need to have faith in the authority that Jesus has in bringing the kingdom of God. But number three, we need to serve our communities. And I want to end with this verse here in, cha in chapter 8, verse 17. And it says this, this fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said he took our sickness and removed our diseases. Wow. Verse 17 is a very powerful verse, and it refers back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And here in Matthew, it applies to physical healing. And interesting, later in Peter, uh, Peter, First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, he applies the verse in Isaiah to a, a spiritual healing. And so we go through this, there's physical healing and there's spiritual healing through the blood of Jesus. And this is where I want to conclude. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus was the final victory over sin, death, and sickness and disease. He took it away. And victory was and is always there for the taking. Yes, sin and death and sickness and disease are still hard at work. They are hard at work. But I'm telling you right now, 
When we lay hold of that victory, we have through the cross and through the resurrection, the areas of our hearts that haven't yet come into agreement with the kingdom of God are going to experience the true freedom that God has intended for us to have. And we can now experience victory and lift the illusion of defeat. Remember, we are one encounter away from experiencing supernatural breakthrough in our country and in our homes. Imagine the life of the leper, the slave, and Peter's mother-in-law. The life of having been touched and cleansed and healed. How are they going to live now? Don and I were talking about uh, in the beginning uh, before service of, of how, you know, he's experienced, you know, people getting healed and they didn't have hearing and all of a sudden they have hearing and they're like, oh, praise God. Like, you don't act that way. Like, that's not how you act when you haven't been able to hear and all of a sudden you can hear. I mean, you are jumping for joy. It transforms your life. And so can you imagine they're not gonna act as mere slaves anymore. They're not gonna act as an unclean leper anymore. No, they have been touched by the living God, elevated to a new sort of life. And so they're gonna go and actually demonstrate the gospel as well. Why? Because a new day had dawned for them. And I'm telling you, church, a new day is dawning for our country, for our homes, for our lives. Just give it to Jesus and allow him to demonstrate the gospel in your own life. In Jesus' name. Church, if you could stand with me, I just want to pray for you. Father, I love you. Jesus, I thank you that even though I look different than you, you loved me anyways. And you gave your life for me. And I pray that that gospel message that I received, that you gave me, would just permeate my entire life. That I might go and demonstrate your love. And I know, Lord, that there are individuals out here right now that are struggling internally. And maybe it's not a, a physical healing you need. Maybe it's a spiritual healing because you've been struggling internally with God and you've been wrestling with them. And you've been having a lot of talks with them and you've been yelling at them because life doesn't seem to go the way that it should go. And I just want you to know that God truly does love you with every part of his being he has given you his son who died for you so that he might have a relationship with you. Give it to God. Have a God encounter. When you go home from here, have a God encounter in your bedroom, just crying out to him. He's not intimidated by your tears. He's not intimidated by, by what you're going through in your life. He wants to touch your life. And if you've never experienced God, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, if you've never received the good news that Jesus is king, then you can do that right now. And church, if you could just repeat after me, you guys know how we do this. Father, I love you. I don't know what else to do. So I give my life to you. Take it, Lord. It now belongs to you. I surrender. I believe that you're my Savior. And I call you my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, church. Thank you, guys.
Hallelujah. We just ask you for a moment, just sit down just for a minute, because we don't serve a God that's all about tomorrow. He's actually about today, right now, right now in this place. And um, I think you're, you're energized in faith and commissioned by that word. This word has just stirred me up. And I want to say that you have the opportunity to be the vessels through which divine favor flows, to bring a new door, a day to dawn on many lives. So I want to just commission you to go out and touch a needy, dying world. I always talk about these paddles as defibrillated paddles. You lay it on people and the God in you is going to start shaking somebody and touching somebody. Whether you touch somebody or don't touch somebody, whether you touch a leper, don't touch a ser- the, the, the servant of the Roman or touch the, uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, it doesn't matter. It's your faith in a big God for that situation and for that purpose. So I know that there's needs in the house. I want to tell you that the best way to sort out a need in your life is go and serve another need.